Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Connects podcast. Today, I'm joined by Eric Felt. He's a market development director here at RTI. Eric, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Good to be here. Well, today we're here to talk about transforming the energy grid. When it comes to IoT, energy is a big topic right now. And I think it's good because uh, it's a topic that not too many people are brief on uh, when it comes to IoT, as opposed to a topic like automotive. So uh, while I got you here, I'd like to start things off by just asking you like, what, what the buzz is, what, what's, what, what big things are happening in energy right now? There's a lot of stuff going on. Uh, every time we turn on the news, it seems like there's something going on in the energy uh, in the energy market or the energy field. Uh, as we every, everybody probably knows, generation is changing pretty quick. One of the big things there is that economics have changed. All of a sudden, wind and solar are actually cheaper to put in than building coal plants. So that happened a lot of years ahead of where we thought it was going to. And that's being fueled by a few different things. We're, we're able to make bigger wind farms faster. We're, we're better equipped to make solar panels. We're, we're, we're seeing economies of scale there, and those are happening faster than we ever thought they would. And we're, we're seeing people take pride in ownership. Look at the rooftop solar environment. There's rooftop solar everywhere we look, particularly here in, uh, in California. Uh, people are taking an interest, and they want to be contributing. So a lot of things are going on. As somebody who works in the industry, can you tell me what's making people excited in the world of energy right now? Yeah, I think uh, an interesting point there is that regardless of where people stand on climate change, everybody sees a role that they can play. And that's really driving a lot of things from the corporations all the way down to the private uh, homeowner or, or even renters. Uh, utilities are starting to see that there's really opportunities to go out there and become involved with their customers. We, we work with a, a utility that is actually installing the EV chargers in the garages. So instead of being somebody that would just go out and hook it up and you own it, you know, much like you would an appliance or anything else, they're actually taking an active role in providing the car charger, almost leasing it to the homeowner, if you will, and then um, seeing how they can use that. that. It becomes a participant in the grid and we're going to see that expand a lot as we go forward. Uh, another thing that utilities, I think, are bringing to the market is uh, working with their customer base to improve resiliency. So resiliency is a word that we're going to associate with 2019 for years. Uh, we've known for a long time how to control a microgrid. We've known for a long time how to operate a campus, be it connected to the grid or not. Uh, another area that I think we'll think of in 2019, when we look back at 2019 in a few years is the word resilience with a lot of media attention this year going into the wildfires and the outages that were caused by trying to prevent the wildfires and so forth. Microgrids are getting more and more attention. It's on people's minds. We've known for years how to do microgrids, but now we're actually starting to look at how microgrids could be improving quality of life for people across the country. Military bases, hospitals, university campuses, Lots and lots of people are getting into the resilience topic and looking at ways that they can improve their ability to recover after natural disasters or unplanned outages. The grid for the last 100 years has been dominated by the idea of central generation, coal plants, gas plants, hydroelectric plants, etc. Can you talk about why the current model is becoming more antiquated and why there's a need for a better solution? Sure. Uh, if you think about utilities today, what do you think of? It's big, heavy, slow changing, uh, big plants and everything else. And as the grid has evolved over the past hundred years, 
the, the model has really been based on that centralized model. In order to get the generation that we needed, we had to do it at scale. So you built one plant and it fed or provided energy for millions of people. Well, the big plants are under a lot of pressure from regulators and public sentiment and economics, as we've already touched on. Uh, it's cheaper now to put in wind and solar, but we don't put in wind and solar in one spot that feeds millions of people, right? So we end up with many more systems that are spread further and further apart. So what we're seeing change there is that large, heavy, industrial, I don't know what other words we want to use on generation, but just really big central uh, items are, are being retired. They're going offline now. Uh, regardless of what somebody's position on climate change is, if it's a coal-fired plant, it has emissions, right? And people are getting excited about finding another way to do that. And that other way to do that is with the distributed energy resources. So we're seeing more wind, more solar, uh, more people putting in private systems. It's, uh, it's an exciting time. So as we start to see this adoption take place, what major differences will average consumers see from the smart grid? Yeah, the smart grid is kind of an uh, interesting term. It's been around for a long time. Our grid is pretty smart already. Uh, what I think we're going to see more of as we go forward is really an intelligent grid or some, I want to say something other than smart grid. Right. right? Um, does that word get misused sometimes, do you feel like? I think it does. And like I say, it's been around for quite a while. It kind of implies that we don't have a smart grid, but we do. <laughs> Uh, the grid's very highly coordinated, right? It's the economic mar or the engineering marvel of the 20th century. Uh, very, very complex, completely interconnected, uh, self-protecting, et cetera, et cetera. However, it's not neural. It doesn't have a nervous system that spreads from the highest levels of generation to somebody's meter or even beyond somebody's meter. So I think one of the things that consumers are going to see is more and more choice, more and more ability to control their lives, more and more, I mean, the comfort of their lives, the comfort or the economics of their life. Mm -hmm. uh, I envision a day where you look on your phone and you say, uh, you know, the wind stopped blowing, it got cloudy and it's 100 degrees. Well, energy is going to be more expensive. And I think consumers are going to have the option to say, I want to be comfortable, or I want to charge my car, or I want to use the energy out of my battery, right? So we're going to be able to tailor what, what our life looks like and whether we want performance and comfort, or do we want savings and efficiencies? I'd like to expand on this idea of what the changes in the in, uh, energy industry mean for the average consumer. It seems like advances in energy kind of happen behind the scenes if you're not aware of it or you're not reading the news. Uh, you know, you just kind of pay your PG&E bill and you get your energy wherever you get it. But let's just get a little bit more specific. Uh, say for like a four-person household in a residential area, what would this smart grid look like? I'm, I said smart grid. I think it's misused right <laughs> after right. I asked. Yeah. But, but what, what, what are these advances going to look like for, uh, for that kind of demographic? Uh, again, I think there's going to be that choice where people can tailor their energy use for what they want. If they want, uh, if they want convenience, or if they want cost savings, or if they want to be uh, a word that's or a couple of words that are relatively new now are not net zero, but actually net negative, where people are contributing green energy onto the grid. People are going to have that choice. Uh, perhaps your car is not just charged, but your car 
charge is. It, maybe the maybe your car runs the inverter that powers your house during high high energy cost times. Uh, another thing that I think we're going to start seeing pretty soon is an idea of what I, I like to refer to as the neural grid, where we've got a physically connected grid today, but we don't have a digital grid yet. I mean, it's there, yes, but uh, a digital grid doesn't connect to everybody's house that's out there. And when that happens, I think we'll have much more ability to look at the overall grid, not as a bunch of consumers, but as a bunch of coordination points. And that's going to be quite a change. As most people know, with our current model, um, there are things called outages that can be caused by storms or bad weather, things like that. How will this new grid uh, system be able to avoid outages caused by storms, bad weather, or even sudden changes in energy demands? Sure, that's a good question. If we go back to that centralized model again, and we think about a very large plant someplace, uh, let's say you have a big coal plant someplace, and we have a major storm that comes through and it takes down some of the transmission lines that leave that plant and go out into the, the geography around the area. You've got that one point of generation. Now, we have an interconnected grid. We've got other ways that we can switch the line and we can take plants offline and we can add plants back in and we can do all sorts of different things there. However, we have a low number of generation points today. Uh, and of course, that's changing very quickly. So I think what's going to happen is the grid's going to get much more distributed. And by distributed, it means that uh, there are places today uh, in Southern California, as an example, where there's enough rooftop solar that given just, just given the amount of rooftop solar on some of the circuits that are out there, they can actually power the whole circuit as it sits today. Now, it's not very sophisticated or anything else, but it means that somebody that doesn't have a solar system can actually be receiving some of that benefit. So that opens up the whole world of uh, transactive energy systems and opportunities, again, for people really to fine tune and dial in what it is that they want to do. If you end up putting in a system at, at a house, let's say, and you size it for double your own consumption, well, you have an option. What do you want to do with that double? You could charge a car. Uh, you could put it back on the grid or you could sell it to a neighbor. It's uh, There's lots and lots of things that are going to be able to do that in good weather and in bad weather, right? So as we end up with these multitudes of distributed energy systems that are out there, we're going to have the ability to avoid the outages that were, that were in the news quite a bit this year, right? Because one person might be able to provide enough energy to power a small area. If the grid would be able to identify problems, is this a form of AI, that identification, self-identification? There's a, a AI is obviously getting a lot of attention in many industries, and it's been at use in the, in the electrical and in the electric utility industry for a long time. So what, what AI brings us is that ability to go out and look at what's normal and identify what's not. And that can be in equipment. Uh, for example, it can look at the gases inside a trans transformer. Or it can look at the signal on a line or it can look at a fault and identify how far away it is and what happened and all sorts of different things. So a lot of these grid situations that we have today are changing. So the grid's been pretty static for 
uh, let's say up until, so we'll pick a number and say 2010. So we had solar. There were a lot of people that were putting solar out there, but it was very heavily uh, reliant on rebates and incentives and other things. The economics weren't really there yet. So we're at this point now where, as we mentioned before, the economics have turned. Uh, it's affordable. It's easy to put in. It's accessible to a lot of people. But every time that goes in, it changes the grid, right? The grid responds differently because we've got different loads. We've got different uh, potential producers and everything else. So AI will play an important part of understanding what those changes look like, what did it look like before it got there, and then what, what's it going to look like after we add things and change things. So it's another point in that distributed aspect of the way that the grid is going to look. Today, we pull everything back into a central spot and we unpack everything and do our analysis there and then make decisions and send them back. Well, as we go forward, and again, since we're, we're getting rid of these large centralized plants and moving to an environment where we've got thousands or tens of thousands of distributed energy resources out there, AI is going to be very important in helping us understand what it looked like, what it looks like now, what it's going to look like in the future. So we know that the answer to making all of this happen is by using digitalization, you know, utilizing connectivity and real-time visibility with these assets to help optimize them. Where does Connect DDS come into play with all of this? I think I mentioned a little bit ago the physical grid, and that's what we see when we drive down the road. We've got the grid that runs from the transmission line to the distribution substation, and then distribution lines run through neighborhoods and everything, bringing that power out to everybody's house. And that is a connection, right? It is a grid. It is interconnected. Uh, we have some smarts, as we've been through already, uh, but that's really the physical grid. And above that, when we get to this new way of, of creating energy, generating energy, and delivering energy, it's going to take a level of coordination that we don't have today. The grid's going to become autonomous. So rather than having your finger on a dial and, and saying the plant needs to go up or the plant needs to go down, we're going to have tens of thousands of devices out there that are going to have to take some sort of input and make some sort of decision and then report some sort of a status back. That doesn't happen on the physical grid. That's going to happen on the digital grid or the neural grid layer. So DDS comes into play there because there are no servers. There is no single point of failure. It's, uh, I think as a lot of our listeners probably know, we have very low uh, DDS. As a lot of our listeners probably know, DDS is low has low latency, very high throughput. It's routable. It's secure. Uh, it's what autonomous systems of systems are built on. Is digitalization a pretty unanimous opinion um, among energy experts, uh, executives, and basically people who make these kind of decisions? I think absolutely it is. Uh, we've touched a little bit already on the physical aspect or the physical grid and then the digital grid that lays on top of it. And the two have to really work hand in hand. Right. We can't we can't go into the future having these thousands and thousands or even millions or these distributed energy resources or DER everywhere without having that ability to understand where it is, understand where it's going, and then give it the operating parameters that allow it to be part of an autonomous system. 
how are we going to get there? You know, if you ask a hundred executives what that answer is, you're going to get a, a number of different answers. The one thing that's going to be common through that is everybody does recognize, and you know, this is my opinion, but everybody does recognize that there is a coordination that has to happen. One last question before you take off, Eric. Why do you think Connect DDS is a tailor-made solution for the problems that the energy industry is trying to solve? Uh, another great question. And I think one of the big things is people are very cautious today about protection, protecting their investment. So Connect DDS is built on an open standard. And what that means is that it's not our technology. We have our the RTI connects DDS iteration of DDS, but it's not the only one. So that investment is safe. Uh, there's there's a number of other things that are that are out there, but I think one nice way to summarize it is DDS is an additive technology. So I haven't met a lot of ex utility executives that say I want to do a rip and replace on a system. It's expensive. It's risky. It's uh, it's all of those different things. Uh, DDS is an adder. It's something that runs in parallel with existing systems if you want it to, and then you can slowly move over to that as a, as a sole source. But uh, it protects what you've already got in the field because we can integrate with anything. And it, it works with the systems that you have today, and then it also future-proofs going into the, into the years ahead of us. Uh, that's pretty appealing, right? So you said Connects DDS can be added on because it integrates well with other systems. However, I've also heard that Connects DDS works best when it, uh, things are built on top of it. Is there a way to slowly migrate Connects DDS to that bottom level where things are built on top of it without having to stop production or take a huge uh, you know, year-long break to reconfigure your system? Yes, absolutely. We have customers that are already doing that where they have added DDS and really the data bus concept to generation facilities and then started connecting the old devices rather than going in there and replacing them. And it gives them the opportunity to do this over time. So as that process is going on, they also get to take advantage of the, uh, the security enhancements and the ability to connect other systems in, uh, and, 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 and. Those right. are the things that, uh, <laughs> that we find so appealing and most of our customers do as well. Well, Eric, I want to thank you one more time for uh, coming onto the podcast and you know, uh, telling us a little bit about energy. It's been great. Hope to have you on soon. Thank you.